Welcome to episode 53 of African and American with your girl, Six the Goddess. And keep in mind, I'm a goddess and I'm sensitive about my shift. Peace and love, family. I'm doing well. Family doing well. Hope you're doing well. Anyway, I want to get straight to this because this is an update to kind of a continuance of, of things we discussed last week. And there has been new developments. And I just need to get this off my chest because this is just killing me. And it's killing me because it represents a bigger issue amongst our people than just this one particular situation. And y'all know me, I like to try to learn anything mainstream that hits the media, like a big story like this. It's such a great learning opportunity because at the time it's like plastered everywhere in our faces. It's all we see. And there's never a better time than having all those visuals and all that attention on something to learn something productive in, in as far as how we move as a people. Um, so I'm, I'm talking about the Botham gene, Botham gene, Amber Geiger case. If you've been under a rock, it is the case that is taking place in Dallas where the white female cop walked into the home of black male Botham Jean and shot him, saying that she thought it was her apartment and thought that he was an intruder and that's why she killed him. I know it sounds crazy, but I swear this is a story, okay? Now, again, to piggyback off of kind of continuing what we were talking about last week, um, a very valuable lesson has been learned. And that lesson is do not stick your neck out for coons. Do not do it. This is why I say all the time, you know, Black people that have love of self, love of their people, have to be very careful not to let your heart guide you in the wrong direction and have to understand that we cannot help all black people. The sunken place is a real thing. I think people watch the movie Get Out and just was like, oh, that was cool. Not knowing like that sunken place is a real thing. And once you know all skin folk and kin folk once a black person is in that sunken place they have committed to that they are under a spell their mind is not in the right place you cannot get yourself in the middle of their mess like you will lose every single time this is something that I had to learn too I used to be on that kumbaya with all black people type of things and then I realized uh no That's not the way it works. You want to be kumbaya with black people that think like you. It's funny when people say, oh, so you only want to be around people that think like you and are on what you're on. Um, If you understand the power of influence, according to the people that you let around you, yes, yes, I don't want to be cool with you and hang out with you if you're a coon. I do not want to be cool with you and hang out with you if you're in denial. Like, I, I, I just don't. I want to be around black people, my people, my reflections that get it. Because like I say all the time, anyone who doesn't get it by now just does not want to get it. I don't want to live in a fantasy world. I'm not the kind of person where, you know, 
really digesting the truth is scary. It's so scary that I just do everything I can to distract myself from it. I am the kind of person I want to know the truth. I want to know what I'm up against. I'm not going to run from that because I have a child. So me running from this means it's something, a monster. You know, when you ignore something, it gets worse. So it's creating a bigger monster that my children and my children after them will have to deal with once I'm gone. So I don't want to just indulge in buying stuff and drinking and smoking and staying preoccupied so I don't have to really face this monster and this war that we're in. I don't want to do that. So if you're that kind of person, because I see that in way too many of us and we just get so consumed in entertainment, sports, making money, buying the newest product, and we just stay in that cycle, going to the next event, drinking every day, drinking every week. Like I just can't live like that. I need to be setting my family up in the best way they can to maintain a knowledge of self, love of self in this world that wants to kill them. That is my, that is my everyday focus. Do I like to have fun like anyone else? Yeah. But I feel like with our people, we do a lot to stay distracted because when you really digest and accept what we're up against, I can understand how some people freak out about that. But that's not what we're on over here. Um, so as you know, there was a witness that testified against Miss Amber Geiger named Josh Brown, um, a stand up black man, a father, uh, a legitimate man. Um, and I just want to say rest in peace to you, Josh Brown. And I know that the ancestors are embracing you. It makes death a lot easier to swallow for the people left here on earth when you know that that person is going to be embraced by the ancestors. When you know that once they do transition, they're not just going to be out there on their own. They're going to have support. They're in a better place. Rest in power to the brother Josh Brown. I'm sorry that your son has to grow up without a father due to coons. Now, we touched on this a little bit last week where we talked about, listen, before you waste your energy getting upset about something, testifying for someone, helping someone, you need to first catch the energy that the family is on. Botham Jean's family, I don't care what they may have been bribed with or threatened with his family got up there and said they wanted to be friends with Amber Geiger hugged her said that they forgave her and they didn't want her to go to jail for killing their own blood but weird flex but okay um honestly Josh Brown once he saw that that was the energy that his family was on in any way shape or form He should have just been like, listen, y'all on your own. I ain't testifying against nothing. I ain't got nothing to do with that. My mind and my business. I'm legally blind. I ain't got the time. Me personally, me personally, I'm picturing in my head how this would go to have a Negro come to me like, listen, six, I need your help. Okay, what do you need help with? Well, see, I was messing with this white cop and uh, 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 you could just stop right there. Don't even finish the story. Let's save your breath. The answer is no. Whatever you were going to ask me, the answer is no. Okay? Because as we see, 
with our fallen brother, Josh Brown, you stick your neck out for clueless Negroes. And guess who will end up looking like the biggest threat and become the new target? You. You will. Okay, any black person willing to stand up against white women, white supremacy, whiteness in general is considered a threat. Any black person who says, I don't care what you say, what you do, what you're threatening me with, what you're saying, I'm going to stay true to what I know. When it comes to them white folks, you're automatically the bad guy. And I'm not going to be the bad guy for any black person that put themselves in a bad situation, period. Six, so I was, what had happened was, it was this white cop that I was dating. Save it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We as black people cannot let our natural good hearts get us messed up out here in these streets. Okay. I understand. I get it. We are naturally good people. We are naturally loving people. We are naturally forgiving people. But F that. F that. Because now you have a a baby boy that will grow up without his father for Negroes that are hugging his killer. So now we have how many dead men because of this bitch, Amber Geiger? How many black dead men are there because of this bitch? Okay, we you, we have to protect ourselves. Again, we have to accept the demon that we are up against. When we understand white supremacy and its purpose, when we understand how, because some people think, oh, they're not worried about little old me. Okay, one person can make a huge influence to the masses. So yes, it can be just little old you because that's the first thing I see Negroes say when we talk about these quote unquote conspiracy theories, which a conspiracy theory just means if you don't believe whatever the news says. So someone calling me a conspiracy theorist, I take that as a compliment. I'm like, thanks. Basically what you're saying is I'm not just having CNN feed me a story and I take it for exactly what it is. So thanks. I appreciate that. You're basically saying I have a brain and I think for myself. So thank you. I don't know if that was meant to be a diss, but I don't take it as one. Thanks. Your own president will tell you fake news. You know, anywho. Um, I, I just feel like you know, that there, there are so many of our people who are doing right and who do get it and who do need our support, that that's who we should be focusing on. Um, yes, it is a threat for them to have just one black man. Yes, it can be that. Yes, they're worried about that one guy. Yes, they would do that. I can't tell you how many times you see Negroes saying the government wouldn't do that <laughs> the government wouldn't do that why would they do that they're not even worried about that <laughs> yeah whatever i mean whatever makes you feel better whatever floats your boat yes they would do that yes one black man standing up and testifying against white supremacy is a threat to them okay and, and let's talk about the most disgusting part of all this And we touched on this back when they assassinated Nipsey Hussle. 
how it's disgusting. I really want to break this down. I really want to break this down because this is the pivotal moment in the definition of racism. The racism, I think sometimes people really get caught up in racism. Like, do you like black people or do you not? Racism is the ability to, because of someone's skin color, to deny them an opportunity or push a certain stereotype uh, or put them at a disadvantage of some sorts based upon the color of their skin. It disgusts me that to kill a black man, the only thing that you have to do is to say he sold drugs. Like once you say he sold drugs, you're off the hook. Everyone believes it. Okay. If if if, if you die and you get killed and someone digs up a disagreement that you had with someone else months or years prior to say, oh, well, I could totally see why it probably was this person that killed them. That's disgusting. So now Josh Brown is murdered. And I believe, um, don't quote me on this, but I believe he was murdered at his apartment complex. He's murdered. The media then plasters an alleged situation about a fight or someone that he got into an issue with, had some kind of beef with, digs that up and says, well, because this happened, um, it's definitely possible that, you know, he was murdered in drug-related retaliation. Now, I don't I don't know if y'all are new to this or true to this, but, you know, a nigga like me, you know, I've been around, you know, I've seen a few things, and I'm going to tell you something about people that sell drugs. People that sell drugs stay as far away as humanly possible from the police. They do not want to be seen talking to the police. They don't want to go to the police station. They don't want to call 911. They don't want to go to the, they don't want to do anything in regards to the police. So, a black man selling drugs 100% is not testifying against the police. I'm pretty sure that he knows that, of course, they're going to dig up whatever they can about him to make him not be a credible witness. So, I'm pretty sure if you were the plug, that testifying against the police would be the very last thing that you would do. But, this is where racism kicks in. Okay, because he's black, once we say he sells drugs, everyone will believe it because that's what black men do. They sell drugs. Don't you know that? Can't you tell by TV? Every time we see them on TV or a movie, they're selling drugs. Again, the power of visualization. So now society believes that to be true. So once a black man is murdered, all you got to do is, you know, Use that D word, that drug word, and then before you know it, everyone will believe you. You're off scot-free. The worst part about these, this is the real reason why before you stick your neck out for one of your people, you got to be sure these people are going to have your back. Because the people in charge of this, the people in charge of racism and white supremacy are also the people in charge of investigating quote unquote and mandating and controlling the law which 
racism falls somewhere under that. And anyway, they're in charge of the same systems that they're also in charge of investigating. That's the most dangerous part about it. Who? Okay, the United States is the creepy uncle that's molesting us. And we don't have anyone to go to because the whole family is like on his side. Like, okay, Uncle Sam is touching us after hours. Who do we report him to? Because Uncle Sam is every organization that we could possibly report him to. And every single time we have to wait for them to investigate themselves and then clear themselves of everything. Okay, so we all know that the police do that, did that. But what can we do from there? What can you do? This is when you realize how terrifying this system really is. There's nowhere for you to run to. We all know this story is some bullshit, but what can we do? You always have those few civilians that think that they can get petitions signed and hire some lawyer to, you know, get situations like this fixed. But the truth is, that's not how it goes. White supremacy is in bed with everyone in the system, from the judges to the police to the guards to the correctional officers, everyone. This is why self-defense, as in like, you know, self-sufficiency in each family to defend themselves is extremely important because there is no system that we can go to to protect us. That system is designed strictly to protect white supremacy and they're not budging on that. Okay, um, my heart just really goes out to this brother's family. The fact that his son is going to have to live the rest of his life without his father just makes me like ill. It makes me ill. But it's important not to let any death like this amongst our people be in vain. So again, we have to learn from this. Unfortunately, sometimes when people make their bed, you have to let them sleep in it. Okay, if you got brothers out here still messing around with white girls, especially white police, white female police, once someone signs their own death certificate, you got to get out the way. Otherwise, you're going down with them. Repeat after me. We will not cape for coons. We will not cape for coons. I wanted to speak this week on something that um, I think that we downplay in our community. Uh, It's something that a lot of us have experienced and we're kind of told that like, oh, we'll be all right and you're okay. and, And it's something that we ignore. And I believe it's something that is ripping us apart. And that thing is trauma. Now let's talk about trauma. When you are traumatized, it literally physically affects your brain. Your brain starts stressing and compressing and going into a panic. It is a physical ailment on your body. Trauma can be, um, I believe that all black men suffer from trauma with Police and racism. I believe that all black men suffer from trauma of at any moment. Someone will think I stole something, will think I'm a thug, think I'm a gangster, could easily frame me, put me in jail. I wasn't even able to watch um, Ava DuVernay's When They See Us on Netflix. 
I wasn't even able to watch it. I couldn't even bring myself to click on it because I knew it was going to traumatize me because this is a true story. (laughs) You know, this is something that black men deal with every day. Me having a black son, I just couldn't bring myself. That was like a horror movie to me. I don't watch horror movies. I was like, that's going to trigger and traumatize me. I'm learning what my triggers are. I'm learning what does traumatize me. So I stay away from whatever might trigger me. Because as black people, we cannot downplay the things that we go through because of the color of our skin. Okay, can we live... Most of the time, our day-to-day, like without conflict, if we just keep our head down and, and, and just do what we're supposed to do, yeah, but at any moment, things can really go left for us. At any moment, your skin color can be a huge factor into something happening to you. Okay, no one else has to wonder like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to get framed for a crime because I'm white today. It's just not something that other people have to deal with. Like black people, we're constantly having to watch ourselves and monitor ourselves and monitor our blackness to make other people comfortable and to stay alive and to stay out of jail. I believe that all black women suffer from the trauma of not being allowed to be feminine and be a woman. I believe It's generational trauma when you're always looked at as the one that got to be strong. And we've always been the mothers of the whole world, but no one has ever been a mother to us. Our mothers will baby our sons and then kick our asses and put their foots on our necks. We're always expected to keep it together and have it together. We're always expected to fix broken men and fix broken people and raise people's children. There's so many expectations. We're not, if a black woman is upset or stressed out or worried, they'll, they'll, they'll look at black women like, you'll be okay. You'll, you'll be strong. I can't tell you how many times someone has told me, you'll be all right. You'll get through it. You're okay. (laughs) It's a totally different story on the tears of black women to the tears of white women. A white woman cries, the whole world stops and like caters to her like, what's wrong? A black woman cries and people like roll their eyes like, oh, she's tripping. I believe that that is traumatizing. I believe it's generational trauma. To have a woman not be allowed to be afraid, not be allowed to express her feelings, not have anyone that she truly feels like cares about how she feels. It's more so like get up and do what you got to do for everyone else. That is traumatizing. Okay, and these are just general traumas that black men and black women face just on a daily basis. Okay, we haven't even addressed childhood trauma. We haven't even addressed trauma from domestic violence. We haven't even addressed trauma from anything else. So when you really be, we really be honest with ourselves and look at our circumstances, we have to give ourselves a little bit of credit and we have to cut ourselves a little bit of slack. I am to the point in my healing and my love for my people where even my people that do negative things. I still have the forgiveness in my heart where I say, I know that normal, healthy black people are caring, considerate, friendly, loving. In my eyes, any black person that is outside of those things, something happened to you because that's not natural for us. That's not how we get down. We have the kindest, most conscious hearts 
ever, period. I'm gonna let y'all finish, but black people are the kindest beings on this planet, <laughs> okay, period. And we don't address the trauma that changes our natural makeup. And then we we just throw stones at each other. Oh, like, oh, you doing this. And look, we're doing this to each other. No, my brother. I know. If you acting like that, brother, you know, it's it's definitely a trauma. Period. Trauma changes people. Okay. Um, I'm gonna discuss this because it's it's relevant right now because the trial is going on. Um I was experiencing trauma and didn't know I was experiencing it. I definitely became aware of my childhood trauma um, and had no, see, I think sometimes we hear childhood trauma and we think, oh, well, since now that I'm an adult, that trauma has went away. I'm not a child anymore. Childhood trauma turns into adult trauma when it's not addressed. My childhood trauma was more of an anxiety. Um, I cannot begin to explain the anxiety that I developed from a very young age. Sometimes I would get so anxious, I would throw up. I would get sick. I would start to get lightheaded because there was so much stress and pressure on me. Um Myself, my mom, and my brother, we were really isolated. Um, if if y'all don't know, I'm from Philly originally. Philly, what up, though? <laughs> um, we moved to Florida when I was a child. And uh, we moved by ourselves. And it was just me, my mom, my brother. And we were very kind of to ourselves. Um, I don't really have childhood memories of like being around a lot of people and being around family all the time. It was really just us three. We were our own little trio. So since I was the oldest sibling and my mother was very sick, also for those of you that don't know, um, rest in peace to my queen, my mother. Uh, she passed away from breast cancer um, in 2008. Um, I've been without her for about over a little, almost 10 years now. Y'all know I'm bad at math. I think it has been 10 years, 10 or 11 years. Anyway, I failed math. I'm bad at it. I don't know. I have to use my fingers. <laughs> Do not give me a math problem, okay? You give me a math problem, I'll tell you what I can do. I can buy a calculator. And most importantly, I can count money. That's the most important thing. As long as I count my money, I'm good. Um, so my childhood trauma came from a few things. Number one, when you're raising two children on your own, you're sick, you have cancer, you're dying, you get stressed out, you get irritated, you tend to, um, and this is not taking anything away from my queen, but we have to learn that it's not about hurting our parents' feelings or not. If we grew up in a way that traumatized us, your trauma is valid and you are allowed to address it. Um, I'm going to stay on track of what I was saying, but I just want to say this real quick because I just thought about this. I think a huge reason why a lot of us ignore our childhood trauma is because we don't want to come down on our parents. Like somehow we feel like by addressing our trauma, it's like disrespectful to our parents or being ungrateful to our parents. We're allowed to say we love our parents. We thank them for bringing us in this world. But if that, if they traumatize you, speak on it. Say it. 
you know, it's especially difficult for me because my mother's dead. So I definitely felt bad speaking on any trauma that she caused me because I'm like, you know, she's passed on. I don't want to disrespect our ancestor. And I, I struggled for a while with that. And then I had to say, you know what, but I'm still alive. I still have to live with myself. I still have to be happy. And I'm a mother too. I have to heal. And if my mother traumatized me, then that's just what it is. And me sweeping it under the rug is not okay. And I had to, I wasn't even apologetic about it. I was just like, you know, because I speak to my mother. And I just spoke to my mother and let her know I love you, but I was traumatized and I need to heal. And the only way that I can heal is by you know, um, addressing this. So, so, so do not suffer inside because you don't want to hurt your mom's feelings. Okay. Do not be torn apart inside because you don't want to piss off your dad. If you were traumatized, your trauma is valid. Please don't ever forget that. Do not let anyone downplay your trauma. Do not let anyone guilt you about your trauma. It's valid and you did not ask for it. Now, I love my mother. However, I was definitely traumatized by her. Um, like I was saying, it's no judgment here because I, I, I can't judge my mom because I've never raised two children while dying from breast cancer by myself. Never. Okay, so I can't judge. I don't know how if I would have handled that more or less great graceful than she did. I don't know. Okay, so I'm not, you know, tooting my nose up necessarily. I'm simply saying the way it was handled caused trauma. Um, when you're dealing with someone that's dying, I, I've talked about this before on another episode. Um, they tend to get very irritated. They're very stressed out. They're very worried, especially when you have children. Imagine looking at your children every day and knowing in your mind, like, I'm not going to be here. That's traumatizing. That's that's painful. So since I was the oldest, unfortunately, I and like I just said a few minutes ago, black mothers tend to be extremely hard on their daughters and very lenient on their sons, which is a big reason why we have too many bitch ass niggas these days, because their mamas just patted their butt and you know, was way too easy on them in a way that they should have been as hard on the boys as they was on us. Cause my mom kept her foot on my neck and my brother could do no wrong. Well, I don't know why black mamas do that. I definitely am loving towards my son, but I, I'm not, I'm holding him accountable for everything he does, period. Okay. Nothing he does. I'm going to just let just slide by. No. Um, so unfortunately, I became the one that she let a lot of her anger and frustration out on. Um, I developed like a skittish behavior because it was like I would be doing something. My mom would yell like, don't do it like that. Hurry up. My mom was always rushing me like, hurry up. I find myself even to this day, like stumbling over myself and like tripping over my own feet, rushing some time to do things. And I still have, um, I seen, I seen a post that said, be careful of how you speak to your children because that becomes their inner voice as adults. And that had to be one of the most profound things I had ever read because it was so true. I spent a lot of time in my life not going after certain things I wanted to do because I kept hearing, I was so afraid to mess up because I kept hearing that voice of, you're doing it wrong, hurry up, 
move quicker. And it would make me not want to do anything because I, I, I was just afraid to fail. I was afraid to mess up. That's why with our children, we have to speak nothing but life into our children. Okay. Um, so I developed an extremely skittish, anxious demeanor, very unsure of myself, didn't know if I was coming or going, just totally in a panic at all times. The other part of the anxiety stemmed from my mom would get so sick to where she basically looked dead. Like all the pigment would come out of her skin and her hair would fall out. And it was like every other month I was freaking out like my mom's about to die. This went on for 10 years. For 10 years, the cancer would come, then it would go into remission, then it would come again. And so even when the cancer would go into remission, I would, my anxiety would skyrocket even more because I'm like, I know it's coming back. It's only a matter of time before it's coming back. You know, when I would come home from school and she would be laid out, um, there would be times where when she would get back from her doctor's appointment, she couldn't even make it to the bed. I would come home. My mom is laid out. it, It was just an anxiety of, oh, my God. My mom, I just didn't know when it was going to happen. I knew she was eventually going to die. It was just a matter of when. And it kind of tugged on my heartstrings for 10 years of wondering, because every time she would get the cancer, it would just consume her. And every single time she got it, it looked like she was going to die. But then she wouldn't. And so you're just teetering. And you're, you're a kid. You don't have a support system. Um... Again, we totally ignore trauma. So no one got me counseling. There was no one that said, are you, are you okay? Um, do you need help? None of that. So I'm internalizing all of this. These are the cycles we have to break. That's why I don't believe in a child that's a bad child. No child is a bad child. That child has experienced some kind of negligence or trauma. Before we call a child bad, we need to look at their circumstance. Now, I wasn't necessarily a bad kid until, I'm not going to say until, I would say I wasn't labeled as a bad kid until I was in high school because at that point, um, I was bigger. I I had gained a little bit more confidence. Um, I was feeling myself. And then by high school, my my trauma had kind of turned into an anger. And and then I, I got labeled as a bad kid because I was hurting. And hurt people hurt people. And since I was hurting, I, I was ready to beat up whoever even looked at me sideways. I'm still working on that side of myself. I've been ashamed at times where someone will see me and I look like this beautiful, classy lady. And then somebody try me and I'm from zero to 100 and I'm embarrassed because people are like, well, damn, like you too pretty to be doing all that. And I'm like, man, I don't even look like I should be doing that. But that's what trauma will do to you. That's why I tend to, you know, kind of stay to myself and just keep things peaceful around me because I know I'm still healing from that trauma. Okay, I I know my tendencies. I know why I developed certain traits that I had. This is part of healing. Part of healing is not saying that you heal overnight. It's saying I know my triggers. I know my limits. And so I'm going to stay away from certain things. That's me. That's why I try to avoid conflict, avoid arguments, because I know. I'm, I'm going to revert. <laughs> I'm going to see that red again. Okay. And before I know it, I got a bitch in the headlock. 
two minutes later, and then boom, you in a headlock. I I don't want to live like that no more. <laughs> um, another part of the trauma was the trauma of it just being me, my mom, and my brother. And so I knew that if I didn't keep the household together, that me and my my brother could have got become property of the state. We could have been property of the system. Okay, they easily could have took us away from my mom because she definitely wasn't in any physical shape to be having two children by herself at all. So now it's the trauma of, okay, I have to be the punchy, the emotional punchy bag for my mom and, and be the punchy bag for all her stresses and frustrations. And then I got to also make sure I'm her caretaker and make sure she's okay so she doesn't die. And then I got to also take care of my brother to make sure that he's all right so that he doesn't get taken away. And this all happened starting at when I was seven or eight years old. Okay. I don't remember having a childhood. Childhood, I don't. And that's another aspect of trauma is you will forget your childhood. I barely remember my childhood. It's a blur of trauma. It's a blur of worry. It's a blur of sadness. It's a blur of instability. Okay, I, I have to seriously, I have to look at photos and seriously sit down to remember most aspects of my childhood. That's what trauma will do to you. Um, so now in my adult life, Again, we feel like, okay, that was childhood trauma and we're adults now, so it goes away. No, it simply changed form. It simply went from childhood trauma to adult trauma. Another thing, butt whoopings, us getting whooped and spanked, trauma, traumatized, <laughs> traumatized. I, um, I, I know people to this day where they're afraid to really take charge or afraid to really uh, you know, make moves because they got their ass whooped for even blinking wrong. That's a real thing. Um, I believe that our ass whoopings growing up is a huge contributor to some of the lack of motivation or a lack of ambition in a lot of black people. Because see, when you spank children for exploring and learning and making mistakes and trying you turn them into idle adults. You turn them into adults that don't want to try anything because they're traumatized and their brain connects a mistake to pain. I believe that black people more than any other people are afraid to fail because as children, it's very common that nine times out of 10, when we quote unquote failed or made a mistake or screwed up, we got a belt to our butt. We have to heal. These are traumas that we're not even aware of. Because we'll tell other people, well, I got my butt whooping. Look how good I turned out. We need that. Okay. All right. <laughs> if you say so. How does that trauma affect our relationships? Okay. It affects our relationships where the minute we have a mistake or an issue, we're out of there. Because we come down so hard on ourselves for making mistakes or having disagreements. I had to learn that in my marriage is that none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all have ways and that's okay. Just because some of us make mistakes or we're not perfect doesn't mean the relationship has to end. It doesn't mean it has to end. It doesn't mean it's over. It's okay. We can recover from it. 
It's a real thing. Um, uh, I'm trying to think how I want to word this next part. Um, now when we, when we talk about recovering from all of this, um, we also have to talk about making sure that we're not creating another generation that has to go through the same thing we went through. So not only do we have to recover, but we have to repair. So we got to recover our own from our own trauma and then we have to repair that so that we're not putting our children through that as well. Um my my childhood trauma that developed into adult trauma, I I can honestly say that I am as far as I have ever been in healing from that. Um I can say that I've come I I have made peace with everything that has happened, uh, I've accepted it. I understand it. Um, and I'm moving forward. I'm healing more and more every day. Now, I'm going to speak on something else that's going on because I, I wanted to say that backstory because I, I already wanted to have a conversation, another conversation on trauma anyway. Because I believe that trauma is a number one thing that is killing us and we don't address it. Um. So for those of you, some, some of you may know, some of you may not know, um, my best friend was a woman named Shade Dixon. Um, we, she, from, from day one, when I met her, she was the most open and free spirited soul, um, that I had ever met. Uh, I was immediately drawn to her. Uh, she was just so positive and always smiling and so beautiful and our friendship grew and, you know, we, we became inseparable and, uh, you know, I loved her. I still love her. I shouldn't say I loved her. We shouldn't say that when we're talking about people that passed away. Like, I love them. Like, what, like past tense. Even though they're ancestors, we still love them. Okay, don't talk about them like they never existed. That's my bad. Let me check myself on that. Uh, I love her. Um, she was murdered. Okay. Real quick, I just remembered another point I wanted to say. Let's talk about the trauma of losing your reflection, a.k.a. a parent, family member, friend. Let's talk about losing them in death and then developing anxiety on you dying too. I'm just going to take a little pause because you. I know you're probably thinking, what, what are you talking about, sister goddess? Listen. When you watch your parent, and this can go for anybody that is taking care of a parent while they transition or that has lost somebody very, very close to them. Me watching my mom die of cancer created another channel of trauma of, is that my same fate? Watching how slowly and painfully, excruciating painfully she died gave me a trauma of, that's my mom. That's my mom. That's my most divine reflection. I am her. I'm literally her. And when she died, a piece of me also died. And then it brings you to the, the trauma of, am I next? Is the same thing going to happen to me? 
Okay, that's a real thing. And it's another valid trauma. Um, my best friend dying and, and not being here to raise her children. Just, I, it's still extremely surreal to me. Um, many of you have heard of, it, it was a, a, the case went national. Um, you pretty much have to be under a rock if you didn't hear about this case. But, um, the Markeith Lloyd case that took place in Orlando, Florida, um, in the case, uh, Markeith killed his pregnant girlfriend. And two weeks later, he killed um, a police officer that he felt like was getting ready to, you know, take him down. Um, that happened December 13, 2016. Um, I'll never forget the day. Uh, I want to say rest in peace to my friend and my sister, uh, Sade Dixon. Uh, this is three years later, and the trial is just now happening. The trial had got delayed so many times. Um, and this is when it comes to being patient with ourselves when dealing with trauma. I had in my mind that I was going to go to the trial and be there in the front row, and I want to see justice for my friend, and da-da-da. Child, listen, I'm so traumatized from losing my friend that I got to the point where I couldn't look at her family anymore. I couldn't look at her children. Every time I would talk to her mother or go to her house, every time I would leave, I would leave hyperventilating. I would have nightmares that night. Um, I just didn't handle her death well. I didn't. A part of me wanted to um, be more active in everything. And then a part of me was just shutting down. I mean, just completely shutting down at the mere thought of her, her family or anything like that. Because a part of myself felt like I could have or should have done more to keep her safe. There is a certain level of blame that blame and guilt that you feel when you lose somebody close to you. Like that was my little sister and it was my job to protect my little sister. And I didn't when I could have. I could have. Um, I feel like sometimes you got to strong arm people in your life to do what's best for them. If you know what's best and they don't. Um, she was murdered by her boyfriend a guy that I knew, a guy that I knew, I knew that he had shot his ex-wife. I knew how dangerous he was. And, and, and what I did was, instead of me really putting my foot down with her, it was more like, you need, I know this is your business, not mine, but you need to leave him and he ain't no good and and that was it. And she said no, and she wasn't leaving. And I just left it alone after that. When, and looking back, I'm like, what were you thinking? She was messing with the murderer. You should have threw a fit and did what 
whatever you needed to do to get her away from that man. That That's what a part of me feels. And another part of me feels like, well, if that man wanted her or wanted to kill her, honestly, there's nothing that you could have done about that. Once somebody has that in their mind that that's what they want to do, nine times out of ten, that's what's going to happen. So you teeter inside of yourself. Um, then I felt guilty because I should be there for her family more. This is how we beat ourselves up in trauma. Okay. And then, and then I went through a healing. Um, I'm still, I'm definitely still traumatized, but I'm understanding again, this segment is about understanding trauma so that we understand how to respond to it. Um, so, like I said, a part of me wanted to be way more active, but it was triggering me. Um, Sade has a very large, very loving and supporting family. Um, like It's not like her family is out here figuring this out by themselves. They have each other. Um, they're very close-knit. Uh, they're very supportive of one each other. Do not... Okay, this is... I really said all this to, <laughs> to say this. Y'all bear with me now. Do not put putting extra pressure on yourself in your response to trauma causes you more trauma. So what I was doing is trying to force myself to do more. And it was it was just pushing me into a darker place. So then I had to learn to accept and recover from the trauma. And then I said, listen. You, again, black woman syndrome, you are not superwoman. If you're a black woman listening to this podcast, I want you to repeat this out loud with me. I am a black woman. I am not Superman. I'm allowed to be afraid. My trauma is valid. I will be patient with myself. I will be understanding with myself. Okay. I think as black women, we really need to be saying those affirmations out loud. Because I found myself putting so much pressure in my mind. I was supposed to have saved her, saved her family, raised her kids. Like I'm putting like all this pressure on myself and I'm like, I'm creating pressure on myself. that doesn't even have to be there. Her family will be just fine. They have each other. There's tons of them. Okay. You need to do what's best for you. We're not good to anyone if we're, you know, in a dark room all day depressed. We're not. Who are you helping? I had to say to myself, her mother, which is like my mother, will want you to be your best version of yourself for your child, for your husband, for your household. She has plenty of support. I think sometimes we have to talk to ourselves like this. Like when we put so much pressure on ourselves or when we're triggered, sometimes it's all right to kind of calm yourself down and talk to yourself. Like, listen, she's going to be all right. She understands. She loves you. Um, it's okay if you can't bring yourself to come to the trial. All right. It's all right. Um, once you accept your trauma, you can heal from it. Once you heal from it, you have to heal from your trauma 
unapologetically. Whatever you have to do within reason that doesn't harm other people, because in the same breath, we do have certain things in life that we have to do, no matter if it's hard or easy, especially when it comes to our children, you know, and to put ourselves aside and not be selfish. So I'm not saying this in a super extreme way, but I'm saying for the most part, know your triggers, know your trauma, and do whatever works for you to get through that. So I had to be honest with myself and I had to say, sitting in that courtroom, especially having to hear video with her voice in it and, you know, having to see her murderer triggered AF. I'm talking about, I already know I would have really fucked up because they would have been carrying me out in the ambulance. I would have hyperventilated. I just, I just can't. And, and, and it's because I've gone through this so many times, not necessarily with um, losing a best friend, but I've been through my own domestic violence situations. I've lost my own family members. Like this was just too much for me. Maybe had this been the first traumatic experience of my life, I could have handled it a little bit better, but man, this was just, it was too much to lose my best friend who at the time was 25 years old. You're not expecting that. Um, I had to know my triggers. I had to accept and understand my trauma. So again, um, to summarize, your traumas are valid. Whatever you have to do to cope within reason without harming other people, to cope, to keep going, to be there for your children, to be there for yourself, to be there for your spouse, do it. You don't owe anybody an explanation. It's okay to say no. You could say, I'm not doing this. It's going to trigger me. It's going to put me in a bad place. Period. Unapologetic. No. Okay, I've, I've had times, I, I was, I've had times where I was supposed to do things or you know, uh, or go somewhere. And, and if I felt triggered or if the situation was putting me in a bad place, I've learned that no is not a bad word. I've learned not to downplay my triggers. I've learned not to downplay my trauma. And this is something that I want for all of us. Okay. Even if you, I, I don't believe in going to see a white person with a white coat on to heal traumas as a black person. Because we all know white folks have a code about white privilege that they don't break for nobody. Even if you're a damn psychologist. They're never going to truly um, accept or even be able to relate to or understand why your trauma as a black person is different than anyone else's trauma. Okay, I truly believe that trauma affects us differently because there's so many things pre-existing. There's so much trauma that we're born with, okay, that we have to handle on top of whatever events or occurrences happen within our lifetimes. It's the trauma of dealing with the trauma of life plus the trauma of being black, okay, plus the trauma, I shouldn't say the trauma of being black, the trauma of what... Uh, being black and the trauma that comes with that. Um, don't go to no white psychologist in a white coat and talk to them about your trauma as a black person, please. Please don't do it. Because all they're going to be able to do is sit there with their legs crossed and shake their head like, I totally understand. Tell me more about how you feel. They don't know what the hell you're talking about. 
nor do white folks like to acknowledge the fact that things are different for black people than it is for them. Okay, whether they're a psychologist, scientist, or a cashier at Publix, they have a code, which is we're all people, ignore white privilege, and keep it moving. Find a black psychologist, even if they are not a psychologist, find a black counselor. Um, I counsel individuals and I enjoy it. Uh, I'm not a counselor in the aspect of I went to, to college for psychology and passed a state board exam. I'm a counselor as a human being. I'm a counselor as in I'm empathetic. I can feel what you're feeling. Um, I've been through a lot. I can uh, relate to what you're feeling. I can show you how I got through certain things. That's a counselor. Am I a certified psychologist? No. Have I studied psychology? Yes. Am I familiar with a lot of psychological diseases, traumatic experience? Yes. So you can reach out to me. If you feel like you need a counselor, you need counsel, uh, advisor, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to anyone in your community um, that you trust or you feel like knows what they're talking about or can relate or help you understand or has good intentions for you. But talk about it. It's valid. Um, let's, Let's start. We have homework this week. The homework this week is do not tell any black person ever again you'll be all right. Let's just stop saying that. Okay, if a black person says they're stressed out or worried or upset, let that be what it is. All right. We're, we are no longer hitting black folk with the you'll be all right. Get killed every day. Be you'll be all right. Cameron voice. We're not doing that. Okay, I encourage you where if you have a sister that come to you and says, man, I'm not feeling well today. Or I, okay, let's talk about it, sis. What? What a pleasant surprise that would be, especially for black women to say that you're afraid or upset or worried and have someone say, talk to me about it. Can you explain to me how you feeling? Okay. Wouldn't that be refreshing for a black man, for a black man to say, I'm afraid or I'm worried or, and have someone say, tell me about it. Explain to me what you feeling as opposed to be a man. Yeah, you'll be okay. That that's our homework. When you if your brothers or sisters express to you how they feel about something, let that be what it is. Let their feelings be valid. That's our homework for this week, okay? Um brothers and sisters, I love you all and we are out of time for this week. Um I did skip an episode last week because I was, again, perfect timing. I was traumatized. The the trial was starting. I found myself extremely uh, sad. Um, It's okay uh, to have good and bad days. Last week, I was hurting really badly. Um, I don't want to say I tried to forget about everything, but... Uh, I, I had just been trying to stay busy and stay moving around. But when the trial started for my best friend, I found myself feeling dark. I feel a lot better this week. Um, but it was, it was a darkness over me. And I told you guys, if I feel, if I, if I'm sad that week or, um, I'm a, I'm a human being. If I'm sad that week or my energy is off or I'm uninspired that week, I will not create an episode. And so this week I was like, well, why don't you create an episode about what you were experiencing last week? Why don't you create an episode about what you were feeling? Okay. So that's why there was no episode last week. I'm sorry guys, but I'm glad you guys are back this week. Everything's all fine and good. 
Okay, thank you for listening. See, I made up for it. Bear with me here. Y'all know I'm a one-woman show. I am definitely, my next move is going to be to start allocating help and kind of hiring people to help me with certain things with the podcast because, my God, sometimes I'm just like, there's. I have my hands in so many things to where I'm like, okay, I got to just, what am I doing? What am I doing? Sit your ass down. Um, if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, you can do so. Um, I think that there's information when this goes off on how to support it. I think um, you can also support the uh, podcast by Cash App, which is dollar sign S I X T H E G O D D I S Six the Goddess. Follow me on Instagram at Six the Goddess. Um, I am closing up the list for my young queens in training class um, next week. So if you have not paid your monies and secured your spot to bring your princesses to class to learn the basics and foundations of African womanhood, please send me an email to sixthegoddess at yahoo.com. Okay? Uh, I love you all, family. Uh, You already know the drill. Like, rate, subscribe, all that. Thank you for listening and peace, love, and black power.